Well, as uh, Pastor Nathan said before, uh, for those of you his first time, I'm not Kenny. Uh, I am uh, Pastor Zach, the youth pastor here. And uh, Kenny gave me a call on, I believe, Thursday morning uh, and said, guess what? You get to preach. And I said, what a gift. What a gift. Um, and he said, we're starting, we're supposed to start our new series this week on Revelation. How do you feel about that? And I said, I'm okay. I don't need to do that. Uh, I'd prefer not. And not that I think it'll be great, but I said, I think that you really want to set that up, Kenny. So I'm going to give that to you. Uh, And I'll talk one more week. On the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about apologetics, and we've been talking about big questions. How do we answer those big questions? And we've talked about the difficulty in having these issues in front of us. What does it look like to answer those questions like how do we deal with Christians that are hypocrites or every Christian that we know that's, that's that way or how do we deal when people push back that Jesus is the only way? How do we deal with the question of evil and the problem of evil in this world? And the thing about many of these questions is they overlap each other because ultimately what we're looking at is how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ apply into every area and corner of the way that we think and the way that our hearts are tuned to. And so this morning, we're asking and talking through one more question, which is, can we really be sure about our salvation? And I think maybe for some of us, this is a simple answer for us, but maybe some of us, this is more difficult. That maybe we think that if I say that I am sure about my salvation, that's a form of self-delusion, it's an exaggeration, it's overconfidence. To have someone that would say, I know that I'm going to heaven, I know without a doubt that I'm right with God. And depending what's under our heart when we say those things, you could be right, that that's, that's wrong to say that. But what I hope that we can see here this morning together is that we can have confidence in our salvation. So first we're gonna look at the words of Jesus and a parable that he told, looking at Mark 4. So if you wanna turn with me or find that in your Bibles, I will read from Mark 4, starting in verse one. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered about him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore and he taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell upon a footpath and the birds came and ate it. The other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, I just lift up and thank you for this word from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. I pray as we talk about this and other passages, you would guide our time and 
Anything that I say that is not from you, that you would wipe that away, but things that you desire to convict us and encourage each one of us this morning, would you plant those into our hearts? Pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we find Jesus with a crowd that has come around him, which is a pretty normal occurrence in the gospel. People are crowding around. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. They want to hear what he's going to tell them. And so as the crowd gathers around him, instead of escaping or just saying, he says he's going to go out onto a boat and then speak to them from the boat onto the shore. And I said, we should do that here. Put Kenny out in a boat in the bay, and we all just kind of surround him, and he has to kind of yell from the boat and kind of the wobbling. I think it'd be great. Put him on a paddleboard, he'd fit in. Um, but, we're, but they're standing there, and he tells them this story about the sower and his seeds. And what, what he tells here later in Mark is he describes what this parable means. As he says, the sower, those seeds are the gospel. They're the good news about his kingdom, the kingdom of God that has come into the earth through Jesus. And he says, those seeds are that good news. And it's spread out over everyone. And so the first thing that I want us to look at is that we each hear the same invitation for salvation. The first thing on your outline, we each hear the same invitation. This means is that when the gospel is told, and we, we have, I think, a great summary that people talk about, that people put on their faces at football games in John three sixteen through 18. If we read through it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Because he came into the world not to condemn the world, but save the world. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. Instead, they have eternal life. And in that, sharing of the good news of Jesus, that God is not distant from the world, but instead close to it and has made a way for us to be right. This invitation goes out to all that hear it. All that hear it can, can have the opportunity. But something happens that these seeds do not all grow the same. Actually, only one of them actually lives. Now, I think that maybe some of us that are here raised on farms, I know we got a lot of crew people here, so maybe there's people that are from a farm, I don't know. But even if you've never been around a farm, you probably have had a garden or you've tried to grow plants around your house. Probably they died. Let's be honest, you killed them. But we probably understand that there's something that goes on in growing things that we don't have control of. You could plant the seed somewhere, but it, it's very important, the soil that it's in. I didn't realize how different soil would be really in moving out to San Diego because I thought it's perfect weather here. Everything is perfect here. And then you go out in your backyard to do something and you realize, why is everything stones? Why is it all the ground? I dig one like inch into my backyard through mostly mulch and then I'm immediately at like the the tectonic plates of the earth, right? It's like you can't do anything, you can't get through anywhere. And so to grow something here, you either have to bring in like someone else's yard from somewhere, right? You bring in a bunch of soil, or you wanna grow things so you do some kind of raised beds somewhere, and then again, you have to bring in soil. Why? You could just, I mean, there's the ground is right there, but you can't. If you just throw seeds there, they're, they're not gonna grow correctly. You have to have the right soil. And so the same invitation, the same seed, the same gospel, it matters where it lands. It matters the soil of our hearts. It matters 
for how those roots are going to grow in and how the roots go in define the assurance in that salvation that's growing and in, in, in what is growing there. And we see this in verse nine, because Jesus says, anyone with ears to hear, anyone with ears to hear. And so the change that's taking root, or the, what, what's taking root in the lives depends on the hearing. How we take into our hearts what Paul says in Philippians 3, that it's not a righteousness of my own, but faith in Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on faith. How we hear the gospel changes how it can root in us. And the health of those roots determine the assurance of our salvation. We see in verses 15, uh, 14 through 19, 15 and 19, where Jesus walks through these different soils because he says what happens to the seed and then he tells his disciples, well, let me explain to you what's going on in this story, what I am showing you about my kingdom in the good news that I'm bringing. And so we're gonna start by the three examples of a faith that doesn't save. So or the response one that you can have to the gospel is that it doesn't save you. And I know in saying a faith that doesn't save, faith, by definition, if it is placed in Jesus, will save you. So this faith really isn't a faith that saves. It isn't really a faith at all. If anything, it's an assumption of ideas. It's maybe a belief or an understanding at some point, but it's not a placing of your faith in Jesus. So the first seed is thrown to the side of the field. It lands on the side of the field on a path, right? It's packed ground. There's no way that the seed is going anywhere. So it's land on this pack, the packed ground and it's just plucked away by a bird. What Jesus says here is this is an example that the gospel goes out and there's, there's no reaction to it. There's no reaction to the good news of Jesus. And so it lands there and then the evil one just swipes it away. There's no growth. There's no understanding. This is a person that would have no problem saying, I have no assurance in my salvation because I don't believe any of it. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't care about it. I don't think that anything he has to say matters at all. There is nothing in that that would give you assurance of anything. And so this is not saving. But then the next soil is the rocky one. It's San Diego is where he throws it. And so <laughs> the seed lands here. And there's just enough soil that it starts to grow, but then it hits these rocks and these stones. And so it can't grow anymore. So it grows quickly, grows fast. There's something happening. You're thinking, okay, this plant's gonna live, but then a storm happens or something goes along it and then it's ripped up by its roots and it's gone. Like it was never there to begin with. Jesus points to here and it says that this is someone who, when life is difficult, who when something comes their way, it seems like they're getting it, but the evil one can easily snatch it away. The temptations of the world easily pull it away and there's nothing standing there anymore. There is no roots or gospel for them. This is a person who abandons their, their, their belief and faith in Jesus because there was no roots holding them in that truth. The final soil that doesn't save you in Jesus' parable is a seed that's planted in seemingly good soil and grows, but then it's choked out by weeds around it. Jesus says that this person is caught up in the worries and concerns of this world, and those choke out their faith to a point 
that it never grows at all, never produces fruit, and it shrivels away and dies. This again, each one of these examples are difficult to hear because we want to believe that everyone could believe or everyone that seems to have the sprout of something in the gospel gets it. But what Jesus is saying is that there are many ways that it could seem like we might get the gospel, but then the concerns of this world overtake it. They disregard what Jesus has to say. Instead of looking to Jesus, they look to their life, they look to the world, they look to the things that are around them, and they focus on that. And slowly, when all of that overcomes their life, the thing that was sprouting up in them, the desire to follow Jesus, shrivels away and it's gone. Now, I know each one of these are are difficult to hear because many of us have family members or friends or loved ones that we deeply desire them to follow Jesus and know him. And we see little lights of things. We see something happening. And ultimately, we cannot know what's in someone's heart. Only God knows what is between them and God. And so all of this is not to try to give us some idea or way to assess everyone else's life. But what you are called to do, what you are responsible for, is your own heart and your own soil. And so this morning, as you think through, what is the soil of my heart? How is the gospel rooted into me? Has it grown up in my life? Or am I being choked out by the things of this world and I can feel my faith shrinking? Or do I feel like my roots are not deep enough so that even when something small comes along my way, I'm very quick to just kind of push aside Jesus? The question is, are you rooted in that way? Or do you have the one example that he gives of a saving faith. And so we look at that example in the response to, which is a saving faith. The only real option of true belief in Jesus's allegory is this option. And what do we see as like the symbol? What differentiates this in the story? It is that this plant, this seed grows. Not only does it grow, but it continues to grow to the point that it is fruitful. And he defines it that it's so fruitful that it multiplies over and over and over again. That now where there was just one seed and one seed planted, now there are many seeds. There's influence around that. And he says, that's how you know. That's how you know that that I was there. They, They believe what I said and they let it grow in their hearts and they look to me and it grew. But then the question is, how, how, how do you get there? What, is, what does that really look like? And the, and the answer, I think, is in his response of, those that have ears, let them hear. Because in his description, and this is the only time I'll get and you know, nerd out on some Greek stuff, because this is important, all right? It's not just, I just don't want to talk about Greek. But right here, how they hear changes in the ways he says that these people are hearing the gospel And then the saving faith hears the gospel. Because those that are hearing it and it shrivels up or it disappears or it gets swiped away, that hearing is in the aorist tense. And the hearing that sticks and stays and the plant grows and the gospel grows in the life is in the present tense. So what this means is the present tense is a continual ongoing hearing. It means present. They are hearing. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's real. As opposed to the other hearing the gospel was a careless and inattentive hearing. They heard the truth about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, 
but it was on the side. It was careless. It was, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that thing, and that's nice, and that's for nice for some people, or yeah, that's a neat thing. Maybe I'll just kind of add that on to something in my life. But the difference is the hearing the gospel in the present is continual, invested, and ongoing. Another commentator puts it like this, right confession of Jesus leads to right discipleship. Understanding and hearing Jesus correctly leads to your life being the correct form of discipleship. And so Jesus puts it right in his parable, if we want the confirmation, if we desire to know who we are, we have to listen to him in the way that he's called us to listen. And so I want us to dig into this idea of listening to Jesus and how do we know we're listening to him. And so we're going to look at another uh, passage from Jesus in John 10. In John 10, and I'll read it to us starting in verse 25. Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from my hand. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. So if we look at verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is an example that Jesus uses many times and scripture uses for us of a picture of a shepherd and his sheep and how we, if we desire to be his sheep, how we can see that in our lives. And so the next idea for our outline is that we see here that if we hear and respond to our shepherd's voice, we are his sheep. If we hear and respond to our shepherd's voice, we are his sheep. It's, it almost feels like a little bit of a cop-out of how do you know you're a sheep? You know you're a sheep if you know you're a sheep kind of thing. But what this means is how can you have assurance that you know Jesus? Because how can you have assurance of your salvation? You have your assurance of that you know who Jesus is. So the question is just look at your life. Look at how you hear and respond to Jesus. Do you hear him? Do you hear him in the aorist light and, and air, it's over here, it's something that's passing, it's not that you're focused on, or do you hear him presently, that you've taken time, that you, you hear and listen to your shepherd? If he is your shepherd and you're able to hear him and respond to him, if you're doing that, if that is who you are before him, then we find in this verse that he never loses us that he's got you under his, in his hands, that he can take care of you. And so there's a fear, I think, sometimes in this conversation of assurance that we can get caught into the, the battles of, uh, well, if you say that you have to think, you have to look at your life, then you're gonna be trying to work for your salvation. Every morning you're gonna wake up and go, am I a good sheep? Am I listening enough? Am I doing enough right things? Or maybe on the other side, if you focus on the fact that Jesus says, I have you in, your, in my hands and I never let my sheep go, then you're gonna fall into, well, uh, once saved, always saved. I can just live my life however I want and uh, no big deal because, hey, he's my shepherd, right? And so he's gonna take care of me. But, but the thing is, is that scripture actually lines up both of those truths. It sets both of those things before us. It says that as sheep, we respond to our shepherd's voice. But it says as sheep, we are likely to go astray, but our shepherd will keep us. 
And I don't want to get into, when I originally said I would do this talk and I just kind of picked one and then I picked this one after I started doing it, I was like, what was I thinking? I'm going to get into like predestination and I'm going to get into free will, but we're not going to go too, too deep into that because I like to take the, uh, what I consider, it's not the cheating way out, but it is a little bit where I say that scripture says both of those things that in many ways from our point of view, we have to believe in Christ, but then from God's point of view, we're cho- he's chosen, we're chosen. What that, call, what's that, what that is called in like theology terms is compatibilism. In the sense that scripture lays out both of those truths clearly and scripture views them as compatible together. For us, we go, I don't understand how that's compatible, right? How are we both culpable, but also God is in control of everything. Salvation is completely in his hands, but we need to listen to our shepherd's voice. How does that work? But scripture lays them both before us, and scripture says that they are compatible. So we know that they are, that both of those things are true. And so the question for us is, do we hear Jesus' voice? Carson says it this way, it's imperative to develop a balanced view on this subject and maintain the tension between the role of God and the role of humans in the process of salvation. We must always recognize the fact that it is God who does the saving, but human response is also significant. God does the saving, but our response is significant. And so we ask ourselves, do we hear his voice? I think of a, a lot of folks have, uh, you have pets or if you have dogs, and they almost naturally sometimes know their owner's voice. They know like the sound of their owner coming through the door. They can hear it and they know, I know who that is. And I'm going to run straight to the door. They know who their owner is. Think of my own life. Uh, Growing up, if I got lost from my parents at all, if I got lost from my mom, instead of like yelling my name in a store or like outside in a group somewhere, she had a whistle for me. <laughs> you might think, were you a dog? I wasn't, but she had a whistle and it was three specific notes. She was here first service. I made her stand up and do it. I didn't make her stand up and do the whistle. It's too loud. It would, it would, it would, you would all understand why I would come running when I heard it, right? So it was three specific notes, and I knew whatever it was, someone else would go, oh, that's a weird whistle. It's like a bird or something. But I would hear it, and I know right away, I got to go, bye. I, okay, I, I got to go. So I run away, because I knew what that whistle meant. I heard it, and to other people, who knows what it sounded like to them. But for me, I heard that, and I knew what that meant. I knew my mother's whistle. But the question for us is, do you know your shepherd's voice? Because that gives you a place. It was never a question if she was calling me. It was never a question if, is it her other son that she's calling? No, I knew that those notes meant that was me. And so the encouragement for us in knowing our shepherd's voice is when we know our shepherd's voice, in verse 28, it tells us that he gives his sheep eternal life and none can snatch it away. If you know your shepherd and he knows you, there is nothing that can snatch you away from him. And so the next thing in front of us is we do not earn eternal life. It is a gift. He says that I give my sheep this gift. In Romans 3, it walks through this same idea that we've all gone astray but are justified, made right by his grace as a gift to be received by faith. Another commentator puts it this way, if it's by grace that we're saved, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. 
the gift would not be a gift if it was dependent on us. So when you know your Savior's voice, when you know who he is and what he's done for you, and you are listening to him, you will also know that it is all on him. He has the control. He is the one who is in front of you. We can think about this in the context of our own gifts that we give and receive in our own life, of what it means to get a gift. My wife, Sydney, loves to give gifts. She loves to receive gifts as well, but she loves to give gifts. And my birthday was last month, and she was so excited to give me like a surprise gift that she was making me like guess what it was. As we're like going to the place where the surprise is, she's like, I can't wait still. Guess what it is. Can you figure out what it is? I just, she wants to see my reaction because she loves to give the gift. But now if she gave me that gift and then like say an hour later, I'm not saying this would ever happen, but let's say I did something wrong. Never happened before. But let's say that I was rude. Unlikely. But let's say that I was rude. I said a joke that I thought was hilarious. And for some reason she didn't think was that funny. In that moment she goes, you know what? Gift taken back. This is not anymore. Now, some of you are now laughing because you go, yeah, that's real life. Uh, That's what happens. Uh, Or as a kid, you go, yeah, I got my Christmas gift, and then the day later, my parents took it away from me. Because sometimes in our minds, that's what we think of as gifts. But in reality, a gift, in the way that the gospel is talking about the gift, it is not going to be taken back. Because if it's taken back, it's a payment, right? Sydney gives me a gift, expecting in return, you will now be good. You'll be a good husband now. If you're not a good husband, you no longer get the gift. If I come home and I bring her some flowers and I hand them to her and I say, I love you so much, babe, here it is. Now please clean the house now. All of you go, that's a great idea. That's perfect. I don't see any problems with that. But then when something bad happens after that, I go, you know, these are my flowers now. You didn't do what I told you to do. You would go, those flowers weren't a gift. That was a payment. There was something due. I paid you and now you do this thing. Now, if we think about that in how we understand the gospel, if it is a gift, it is not going to be taken away based on that we didn't hold up our end of the deal because we don't hold up the end of our deal. As sheep, we are foolish. As sheep, we need to listen to the Savior because he's the one, the shepherd is the one that knows where we're supposed to go. He knows what we're supposed to do. And so in that In that response to a gift, if we're requiring the response, it's not a gift, it's a payment. But if in receiving the gift, I receive that gift from Sydney, and I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, it makes me want to give you a gift. It makes me want to love you better. It makes me want to make sure that I've cleaned all the things that I need to clean. It makes me want to do these things, not because I'm paying you, but because, man, you love me and I love you. So as a sheep, when we receive our gift, A reality of that gift is we respond in love because we go, Jesus, you love me so much. You're such a good shepherd. I want to follow you. I want to listen closer to you. I want to apply your word into my life. The other idea in verse 28 is that it says eternal life as a gift by definition cannot end. All right? The next thing there, by definition, if it is eternal, it cannot end. Eternal life sometimes we think is like, oh, that starts somewhere else. But eternity in the view of God as being invited into his eternal nature, it means before, during, and after we are now in the eternal life. And so you can't just rip that away. 
So again, the picture of the security that we have in being his sheep and being adopted into the family of God is that when that happens, when the gospel is truly rooted in your life and it is growing and fruitful, you don't have to wake up every day going, man, I really wonder what's going on. No, you go, I'm a child of God and I am his and he is mine. I'm a sheep. I'm close to my shepherd. I'm hearing him. But again, the the biggest, the best way to understand this argument, to be secure in Jesus, comes down to in verses 28 and 29 that says that we are in, his sheep are in his hands and no one can snatch them away. In the hands of Christ, given to him by God, who also has even strong, strong hands as well, we see finally that our security is based in our shepherd not our works. Our security is based in our shepherd, not our works. So if you're looking at your life and going, man, here's all the ways that I'm awesome, and so I'm gonna lay those before God, and he's gonna know, man, I'm a really good sheep. You are looking in the wrong direction. Instead, because we know the shepherd, we look to him, and we look to his hands, scarred to bear our sin. And those are the hands that hold us. And in those hands, he says, you can't, be, you can't be snatched away because you're mine and I died for you. He asks us, know me, hear me, follow me, be convinced of your security in my arms, not because of our perfect performance, but because of his perfect love. If you're secure in your faith because of the things that you are doing, you are, are missing where you're supposed to be secure. And if anything, you are in danger of not being secure in Christ. His works, his call upon your life, his look to you as his sheep and call to you as, a, as his good shepherd. And he has you for all eternity and will never fail. And so again, the question is, how do you know then you're his sheep? And then do you hear him in the way that it's calling us to hear? Do you hear him presently? Do you hear him actively? Do you, do you seek after your shepherd act actively? The present tense, not just one time at one point and you think that you probably listened to him, but is he your shepherd that you hear every day? Because the further that we get from our shepherd, the more uncertain we certainly will get because the world will seem so much around us that we can barely hear the directions of our shepherd. And if he is our shepherd, we stay close. I know that many of you guys, you don't know this about me, maybe you do, I lose things all the time. Uh, and my wife knows this, that for Christmas, I think last year she gave me air tags so I could put them on every like, item that I own. And literally this morning I had to use it to find my keys. Uh, and so I, I lose them all the time. And something that is invented recently uh, is Bluetooth headphones that are amazing, right? There's no wires to them. And they're about this big, and the best part of them is that you can lose them anywhere because they're so small. And I had my favorite ones. They were the best. They were so good. I just like got them all synced up to the way I liked them. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, for uh, three months, I lost them. They just disappeared, and I'm scouring everywhere for it. I'm just so frustrated. I'm like, and then she's like, do you need headphones? And I was like, 
Probably not, but I need these ones. And so I'm searching everywhere for them because the thing that I do when I'm on the phone, and you can see a little bit, I try to stay here, but I pace when I'm on the phone. I get on the phone, and I start pacing, and I start walking, and so then I have a headphone in, and I kind of forget that my phone is somewhere else, and so all of a sudden, like, it'll start clicking in and out, and I'll be like, what? What? And then, and then I'll realize, oh, I gotta go back closer to the phone because I can't hear it because the Bluetooth is going, hey, you're too far away. I can't send you the signal. You're not gonna hear anything. And so I lost these, and then one day, just this last week, I was in my backyard talking to Brian, who's back in the booth, and I was on the phone with him, and all of a sudden my phone, I'm holding like this, and it's clicking in and out. I'm like, oh, technology, right? It's breaking, it's worthless, come on, I need a new phone. This one's six months old, it's ancient. And I'm like, ugh, oh, it's clicking in and out. And I look at it, and it says, it's connecting to my lost headphones. And I was like, this dumb phone is broken. It's giving some kind of, those are lost, those are gone. I have not seen them in months. And then I click it off and I start talking again and it, go, and it goes again. I'm like, what in the world? And I go, wait, it's connecting to my headphones. I say, Brian, I don't care what you're saying, bye, click. <laughs> and I go and I start searching. It, it is somewhere in my backyard. My headphones are somewhere back there. At least one of them is connecting months later. So I'm trying to find it. I put a little app on, they're making squeaky noises somewhere. And I just shush everybody and we find them in the most obvious place where I clearly put them to not lose them, in a tiny pocket in my golf bag. Because <laughs> I, I wouldn't lose them there. And, and obviously in three months, I've been using my golf club so much that I thought to ever look there. But I was so excited that I found them because I got in the zone and the, the headphones were like, hey, no, 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 I can, I'm working again, I'm here. You're in the right radius, I'm, I, I'm working, I'm alive. And it was great. I found them because they got close enough to the source they needed to be close to. And obviously you can know where I'm going with this, is that if you want to hear the shepherd, you have to be near to him. To hear and respond to him, you have to be able to hear him. You need to stay in the radius of the source. If you wander too far, it'll begin to click on and off. You will, you will get worried. You might think, do I, do I know Jesus? Do I know him? And if you're in that place, the direction that scripture gives us is draw to your shepherd. Come close to him. Hear him. Hear his words. Because if you are not hearing the words of your shepherd, then you are listening to someone else and anything else will not save you. Any other faith, any other place that you go will not give you roots that allows you to grow and have fruit. I'll end with a picture that Calvin gives in this, in, in this passage here. He says, far differently, Christ teaches his own that they must think of themselves as in a forest, surrounded by a host of robbers, knowing not only that they are unarmed and open prey, but also that we carry the stuff of death around with us. If we would live in safety, we can only do it by confidence in God's protection. The only reason for security is that our salvation is in God's hands. Our own faith is unfirm, and we ourselves tend greatly to waver. But God, who has taken our salvation into his hands, is mighty enough to scatter all the weapons of our foes with one puff of his breath. The most important thing we can do is to turn our eyes to this power, the power of God. If we are not to be overcome by the fear of temptations, 
For Christ wanted to show us how the sheep are enjoying peace and quiet, even while they wander among wolves. You and I have the opportunity to be fully accepted, fully placed, fully confident as children of God, completely satisfied in the knowledge that our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. All we have to do is listen and believe to our shepherd's voice. And so this morning, if you don't hear him, if you think that you've never heard him, or you think that maybe at one point you heard something like him, you don't need to fear this morning because you have the opportunity right now to say, I want to listen to my shepherd's voice. I understand that he's a loving shepherd. Unlike every other thing that seeks my attention here in this world, he desires the best for me. And he is calling out to me saying, my sheep, come and follow. Listen. As Jesus calls us and he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I will walk with you through this life. Be rooted in me. That is the call that he gives to each one of us. And now if you are a person that says, yes, daily, I waver, I stumble, this world is difficult, but he is my shepherd. He leads me. I listen to him and I go back to him. And as I wander, I still hear his voice and I turn back and I draw close because I know that his is the way of life. Then you can be encouraged. You don't have to wake up every day wondering, why well, I just don't know what will happen to me. You know, because it's not based on you. You know who it's based in. It's based on looking to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and that if you are close enough to him to be in his hands, it means you are close enough to see the scars upon his body of which he bore for you and those, those instruments of love move you to have fruit in your life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and those fruits expand out and affect other people and you are like that plant that sees around it flourishing. Now each one of us will have different versions of what that looks like in our life, whether big or small. But the point is, is you can know and be assured, but not based on your works, but based on your shepherd. And so the question for all of us, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey this morning is simple. Do we hear, do I hear the good shepherd's voice? Please pray with me. Father, I thank again this morning that these words have been put down for us in your spirit. That Jesus, knowing our situation, knowing that there would be those that would believe in him and place their faith upon him thousands of years later, that he prayed for us. And this morning, may we receive those prayers of our shepherd. And may we draw close to him to hear his words. May we draw close to our shepherd and be secure and safe that there is nothing in this world, as Paul says, there is nothing, height nor depth nor anything that can separate us from the love of our Father in heaven through Jesus that we direct ourselves and place our faith in him. So I pray that for each one of us this morning in the name that gives us the ability to pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. And so our benediction from this morning, in that song, the glorious day of Jesus, we consider Christ our good shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them away from the Father's hands. The Father and I are one. May each one of us listen this week and today to the encouraging and commanding and convicting voice of Christ, our powerful shepherd.